I said earlier that um, as kind of you read on the news or you see kind of online all the time, this whole kind of the drive to be healthy, whether it's spend a fortune, join a gym that you actually never really often very go to, maybe after the first month and then feel guilty about it for the rest of the time, or whether it's healthy eating or drinking less, exercising more, giving up smoking, all kind of all those things are really, really, really good and great. I think, you know, actually we, we really do need to um, look after our bodies. I think actually that's a, a really important thing. Um, some of you are going to see this, which is a kind of uh, term card over the next three months of sermons and things that are coming up. And I put a quote here from Joyce Mayer. Some of you may know Joyce Mayer. And she said this once, I believe that the greatest gift you can give your family in the world is a healthy you, uh, which is kind of quite a challenging thing to think about. But there's something about being healthy that I think we are called to live healthy lives. And I think that's good. But what about healthy spirituality? What about healthy church? Is our church? Are our churches healthy? Or are they a bit kind of fat and flabby and a bit kind of running out of steam? And I think anyone who's been around church for, for a while knows that often churches sometimes, sadly, can actually be quite unhealthy places. They can become places that may be a bit stale or um, just unhealthy in a way of the relationships between people. People often get really wounded and bruised in churches. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Often you can get really burnt out in churches. I know lots of leaders, uh, myself included, many years ago, who kind of were, were doing, was doing so much stuff, and kind of maybe good stuff, but actually ended up getting really, really burnt out. Got to the point in my life where actually I couldn't stand church anymore. That's not what God intended, because the church, his bride, is supposed to be radiant and beautiful. And sometimes we, maybe we as fallen people, end up making it not so beautiful. Because, of course, the church is not supposed to be an institution or a building, but it's us. And so we've often prayed that prayer, Lord, send revival. But as that old worship song was, Lord said, Lord, send revival, start with me. And that's the deal, isn't it? That we are the church. And if we're looking for the church to be glorious and resplendent and transformed and powerful and dynamic and alive and outward focused, well then I guess we've got to play our part in that. So we're going to kind of go through this series, and I felt God put this on my heart to do this, and then kind of, as I said last week, looked through kind of some of the readings that will come up over the next three months, and was just staggered how God's timing sovereignly seemed to be bringing these things together. And so the readings we're going to go through over, over the next two, three months are taken from John's Gospel, some Old Testament ones, some New Testament ones, and actually really fit in with a whole load of themes about what it might mean to be spiritually healthy. So tonight's a bit of an intro, but we're going to be thinking about having, next week is about having healthy eyes, seeing clearly. Then we're going to be doing something on having healthy ears, hearing the Master's voice, having ears that are open to what the Spirit is saying, ears that are unblocked. We're going to talk about healthy relationships. What does it mean to love one another? To, to kind of, to, for guys to love the women in the church as sisters and as brothers. For how do we, what does that love really look like? the quality of our relationships that are really powerful. Because the truth is often in church, the quality of our relationships historically haven't always been brilliant and many people have often been very, very bruised by church. What might God want us to be doing in these days? We're looking at the whole thing of having a healthy heart. What might that look like? Then we're going to look at the whole thing of authority, authority and power. That's kind of often in society it's seen as a really negative thing. 
there's often been lots of abuses of authority, both in the kind of political sphere, uh, in, in the area of police, in the area of perhaps military, but also, of course, sadly, in the area of church as well, where, where power has been used and it's become abusive. But what might godly kingdom authority and power look like? How, what, what, what might that look at in terms of being healthy and how do we embrace that? Our attitudes towards giving, our attitudes towards worship, having healthy attitudes in those areas, healthy longings, healthy freedom. We're going to look at a whole series of things. But tonight, in a sense, is just um, a little bit of a, an introduction and uh, a promo video. That's loud. It's a basic thing in life, in nature, that healthy things grow. So often there's this drive to get churches to grow, you know, and there's often a culture of wanting, you know, bigger buildings and more people and more money, and and sometimes the heart of that can be okay, but sometimes the drive just becomes about physical growth. Um, I guess that's not what we're into here, so that's. You know, we want to be authentically church, whether there's 10 of us or whether there's 190 of us. That's more important, that there's spiritual growth, because there's the outward growth, but of course there's often the unseen growth, the roots that grow beneath the soil. Actually, that's what really brings sustaining power and energy and true growth. But the point is, healthy things kind of naturally grow. You don't have to shout at them. You, know, you can talk to your plants, and I don't know, maybe that helps. Maybe that helps you more than it helps the plants. But you can talk to your plants. But the point is, if the soil's good and the sun's right and there's water, it will just naturally grow. It's the same with children. We just kind of grow. Healthy things grow. And so I think the point is, rather than trying to make church grow, you're better to try and help church be healthy so that the culture of it is healthy and then it will grow, not just numerically, but it will grow in terms of quality of relationships, quality of kingdom life. And that's what we're all about here. That's what I'm all about, really. That's all I long for. I have this, this constant, perpetual, really simple prayer that I keep coming back to, which is basically, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. I think if we're praying that, I find myself praying that more and more and more and more. Not in a kind of ritualistic way, but just in a really simple way. In every situation I'm faced with, we're going to be taking off this roof and putting a whole new roof on here. And we would love to do loads of stuff in this building. And it's going to cost um, quite a bit. <laughs> but what's my prayer in that? Well, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. If you don't want me to do the roof, then that's fine. I don't want to do it. I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come. When, as, a, as a father with my kids, I look at my kids, I love them to bits. And, and, and just, I'd give my life for them at the drop of a hat. They also drive me insane some days. What's my prayer for them? Lord, give me patience. But then, Lord, 
your kingdom come, your will be done in their lives. In my marriage, in my circumstances, for my, in my friendships. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a great prayer. That's why Jesus kind of got his disciples, I guess, to pray. But bottom line, that's what we need to be praying. But what would that look like? See, I'm praying it. God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, in my family's life, in Whitcombs. I'm walking around, I'm praying, Lord, your kingdom come here. Your will be done here. And I start to dream and think what that might look like. What would it look like? I don't know, signs and wonders, miracles, healings maybe, wholeness for people, salvation. That's what we long for, isn't it? People to come to know Christ for the first time. Direction for God's people, clarity of understanding, vision, deliverance, joy, peace, laughter, breakthrough, so many things, so much more. Your kingdom, if God's kingdom was here, what would that look like? But it's not just out there, it's in here as well, isn't it? It's in you and me. I'm praying in my own heart, Lord, your kingdom come here. Your will be done here. Change the seat of my being, my, my wrong motives, my wrong thoughts, the sickness that's still inside of me. Those dark corners, those places of fear, those places of unbelief. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, you need to turn things upside down in me. I give you permission, Lord. Because that's what that prayer is really saying, isn't it? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus in Gethsemane, when he was literally sweating blood, knowing that he was going to have to carry on the cross all the weight of humanity's depravity. He wasn't worried about the nails going through his hands. He was worried about, as I've said before, carrying on himself the, the, the slaughter of millions. Nazi gas chambers the raping and pillaging of generations. He was carrying that on himself on the cross. My vanity, my pride, my ego. He prayed that prayer. Lord, I, I don't want to do this. <laughs> if there's any other way, then let it come. But actually, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. See, sometimes when we pray that prayer, God goes, okay, I hear you. It's a great prayer to pray, but it's a dangerous prayer to pray. And are we prepared to pray it as a church? Lord, will you turn our world upside down if you need to in order that your kingdom will come and your will be done? It's a really exciting prayer that I pray we can start. And I think if we can do that, there's deep roots that go down that begins to nourish our soul and our heart and bring a healthiness to us that is kingdom. So how are you doing in all of that? Doing alright? To which most of us go, yeah, I'm fine. Because I'm English and that's the right thing to say. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you also. It is that kind of Anglican liturgy that we use, isn't it? And it's so easy to get into that, isn't it? 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you, you, every single one of you, you are the ones chosen by God chosen for a high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted that's pretty crazy isn't it it does sometimes shake me when I kind of look in a mirror in the morning well you can understand that that would shake most of us I look in a mirror and I kind of start to laugh because I think who, me? <laughs> but God doesn't look at each of you and go, 
kind of Homer Simpson. He looks at you and goes, wow, yeah, you're my instruments. I want to use you. And most of us at that point go, you're right, you're joking. I mean, that person, yes, but not me. Scripture doesn't lie. If you've accepted Jesus as Lord and you have a pulse, then you are God's instrument. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. And he wants to help you find your place in this thing called church. And I don't just mean St. Matt's. You know, when I talk about church, I don't talk about my church. Because we're all part of the one church. And truth be told, I don't care where you find your place, whether it's here, or All Saints Western, or BCC, or Freedom, or Whitcomb Baptist Church. God bless you if that's where you called. I want to cheer you on in that. Because God calls you, calls you to find a place in the church. But he wants to put you in the church somewhere. Because it's his body here on earth. And the weird thing is, we as church, we really mess up so often. But God doesn't have a plan B. He wants to use his church, his beautiful, glorious bride. And he wants to help you find your place in it. And he wants it to be a place of beauty and extravagance and generosity. I get, I get really grieved. And then angry, and then sorry that I'm angry, but it kind of feels like a, a righteous anger. I'm really saddened when I hear some of the things that sometimes come out of churches, that's spoken by church leaders, that's done by church leaders, so-called in the name of Christ, that's abusive or controlling or manipulative or just downright religious. And it's so far away from the Jesus I know who's full of grace and life and healing. Who reached out to the leper and embraced him. Who reached out to the prostitutes and those caught in adultery and, and, and offered them a hand of friendship and a second chance and freedom and not judgment but mercy and tenderness and love and compassion. Who, who hung around with the drunks of the day, so much so that they called Jesus a friend of sinners. And he went, yeah. That's what the church is supposed to be. Speaks up for the orphans, those that haven't got a voice, that breaks the yoke of injustice and takes a stand and draws a line in the sand and says, this is wrong. And we're going to protect the vulnerable and we're going to love the weak and we're going to be a place of refuge. And we're going to be a family that reaches out and that's inclusive and loving and doesn't hold people back or judge them. And we're called to be a family that's a place that welcomes the lonely and the lost and the least and the last. And actually we give them the best place, the best seat in the house. And don't tell them that they have to wait until they're all nice and clean and have the right language and they wear the right clothes and then they can participate. No, we want to give them the best place in the house because that's what Jesus did. And we want to love them, not expecting anything in return, or not because they got loads of money and they got loads of resources and skills to give back to us, but we love them simply because we love them, because Christ loves them. And we don't love them because we have to, but we love them because something bubbles up from deep inside, because we're so captivated by the love of God. And we're so in love with the Lamb on the throne, that we can't think of anything to do other than love His creation who are made in His image. It's the type of church I want to belong to. That's the type of church we're all supposed to belong to. But so often we get caught up in ritual, or we get caught up in institution, or power, or control, or manipulation, or we just go through the motions of doing the stuff because we don't know what else to do. 
But Christ came to bring joy and freedom. Church is supposed to be a place of raucous laughter. It's supposed to be the place that you go to have fun. It's supposed to be the place where you go to make friends, to feel part of something, to use your skills and gifts, and to be a springboard that catapults you out into the world to make a difference. It's not supposed to be this walled up with big kind of high walls. It's a place of where we hide in fear and trembling. But it's supposed to be a church without walls, that people can look in and where we're running out and bringing people into the meet the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I hadn't written any of that down. (laughs) Healthy church. Well, there's all sorts of things you can read on health about healthy church. All sorts of books have been written. I quite like some of these seven marks of a healthy church. I'm not going to go through them in great detail, but I think they're helpful for us. A healthy church is a place where you're energized by faith. I'm guessing from your stunned silence that inside you're all going, yes! But we're British, so that's fine. That's okay. (laughs) But actually, church is a place where you're supposed to feel, you come out maybe feeling challenged, maybe sometimes feeling touched by the Holy Spirit and kind of that he's put his finger on something in your life. But we're supposed to come away from church, I don't just mean Sunday night meetings, but kind of gatherings of us as people, feeling energised. Feeling like, yeah, maybe, maybe there's more that God wants me to press into. That's what a healthy church is supposed to do. I think a healthy church has got to have an outward looking focus. So often we become so inward that we forget there's a world out there dying on its feet, not knowing Jesus. You can go up to Haken Crematorium and see a thousand crosses on the hillside. People buried there, no one ever told them about Jesus. That's the reality of our nation. We're called to go out and love and share the great news we've got. I believe that that a healthy church is a place that actually seeks to find out what God wants rather than simply telling him what we think he probably wants. That's really important as church. We've got this incredible building that God's given us. But my constant prayer is, well, don't let me just simply assume I know what you want to do with this place or in this parish or kind of with the team or with our church, with our resources. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then I don't just go and get on with my own stuff and assume he'll kind of back me up. We've got to listen. God, what do you want to do in our community? What do you want to do in this church? What do you want to do in my family? What do you want to do in my life? That needs to be our constant prayer. It's a really healthy attitude. Another mark of a healthy church faces the cost of growth and change. Well, we're definitely doing that in this parish at the moment as we're looking at major potential building stuff to bless the community, to make this a place that can be used by lots of people for all sorts of kingdom ventures. And we have to do in our own life to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to say yes to you. But there may be cost involved in that, and I want to trust you for it and be prepared to change where necessary. Number five, operating as a community. A healthy church understands that it's really important to be community. 
And that's what we long to be here, genuine community. Community isn't just a bunch of people who happen to hang out at the same time. That's not community. Community is where there's growing links of togetherness, a growing sense of belonging. You know, in the old days, the old cliche was that in order to kind of become part of a church, you had to believe, and then you had to start to behave, and then eventually you could get to belong. But it started with believing, and you really had to get behaving pretty fast and when you were kind of good enough then you could belong I think God's turning all that all on its head and actually we've had loads of people who have come here completely without faith who have said do you know I, w- I want to belong in this place I don't necessarily get all the faith stuff and when you kind of go on singing songs for ages are you trying to dry your armpits when you put your hands in the air what's that all about and, 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 and then you cut singing in this funny language I don't get that at all but but you know what it's amazing and I sense something here is it alright if I come along and just hang out and say, yeah. People followed Jesus. And to be honest, a lot of them didn't really know why, but they just knew there was something about him and they started to follow and they wanted to belong because deep within humanity, I think, is a desire to be part of something and belong. And we want to be a place where you can belong, whether you have great faith or whether you have no faith or tiny faith. You can belong here because that's what it means to be family to operate as a community and we want to help you to believe but we're not going to beat that into anyone we just want to help model it and demonstrate it and if you behave that helps (laughs) but to be honest on my staff team getting them to behave is quite tricky anyway so that's not true makes room for all we need to be open don't we and inclusive and that's sometimes really uncomfortable but I love being in a church where you can be sitting next to kind of a really wealthy businessman and have someone who's homeless sitting a few seats along. We need to be open to all people who are struggling. You know, in these days, the reality is many people are struggling with all sorts of questions of life and spirituality and sexuality. How do we reach out and love and know what we believe and know what we believe Scripture says, but still reach out and love? Jesus was so good at this. He was so good at reaching out to those who were despised by society or misunderstood by the religious leaders of the day or judged or felt unworthy. We need to be a a healthy church, makes room for all, finds a place for them, to dialogue with them, to love them, to eat with them. And this last one I think is quite important for a healthy church. It's not a church that tries to do everything. But do a few things and do them really, really well. And most importantly, going back to that earlier point, do the things that God's called us to do. The problem is, I'm a big dreamer. I always have been, lots of ideas. If you sat me down and said, okay Tim, tell me your plans for the next 10 years, you'll be there for a while. Because I dream big, because that's how God's made me. And I can think of all sorts of wonderful things that God might want to do in us and through us and around us. But what I don't want to do is suddenly just launch us out into them and make us get so thin or exhausted or burnt out that actually we fail at them. We need to do what Jesus is asking us to do because he won't ask us to do too much or too little. He'll ask us to do what's right. And whether that's reaching into Dolmeads or some of the initiatives we're starting to do with the elderly and visiting the vulnerable, whether it's working with students, whether it's cafe stuff, whether it's doing some building developments here, The things that we want to do, we want to do really, really well. And we do that together as family, not on our own.
If you've been part of some mats for any time, you'll be aware that um, culture is really important in a place, isn't it? And I'm not going to go through this, but part of our culture, right from when we started, is we wanted to be this church where we have in, up and out. The upward, our call to be worshippers. We make no apology for the fact that we just love to worship God. And we want to press into more of that, to encounter more of his spirit in worship. We want to be worshippers who yield to him, who pray, who have an expectation that when we worship with God, his spirit comes to be a prophetic people, to be a people of the spirit. And we connect upwardly with our Father in heaven to worship Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to be inward. We want to really build community in a really uh, genuine, heartfelt way that we give energy and time on to discover and explore what it means to actually be family. Not just kind of meeting in someone's house once a week because that's what you're supposed to do, but actually really laying down our lives for one another. To party together. I think that's really important. To laugh together. To cry together. We've done all of that and we want to do that more and more and more. To share our woes and our burdens and actually really bleed with one another when necessary and to laugh with one another lots. To learn together in small groups and large groups but also to be outward. That our gaze is out into the world looking for where we can bring blessing. Not just in kind of big gestures but in the little things. In the supermarket queue. To our neighbour to the people who look lonely, to the people who are vulnerable. We look out to think, what practical things can we do in our community here in Whitcomb and in the city? How can we be a blessing amongst the student world, in the business world? How can we reach out and be a blessing? So, all sorts of things there. Let me read this. This is from Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He says this. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. He says this later on. You must begin with God, your creator. You exist only because God wills that you exist. You were made by God for God. Until you understand that, your life will never make sense. I think there's truth in that. You're an instrument created by God for his purpose, to do amazing things in you and through you, every single one of you. It's not that some are more important than others and kind of you're trying to play catch-up. No, you have a purpose that only you can fulfill. And God wants to work through that in you and through you. And as we go through this series and we explore what it means to have a healthy understanding of who we are in Christ and to find our place within the body of Christ, then we begin to become fruitful because healthy things grow and healthy trees and healthy plants bear fruit. And it's to my Father's glory, says Jesus, that you bear much fruit. You're chosen by God, chosen for a purpose, formed to be an instrument of God. I need to finish because I'm on a train in 20 minutes. (laughs) Just this last thought. In that passage in John 20, the disciples are freaked out and being typical blokes, they're hiding in a room. The door's locked. The women have been going to the tomb trying to find out what's happening, but the blokes, they're locked away. And what happens? I love it. Jesus comes and stands in the middle of them, completely freaks them out. I mean, he says, peace to you. 
which is very like the angels. Whenever angels encounter people, what's the first thing they say? Do not be afraid. Any angel encounter, they're kind of trained in angel school. When you meet a human, first thing you need to say is don't be afraid, because they will be. And here's Jesus, suddenly in the middle of a locked room. They're up there for fear of the Jews, we're told, in this locked room. And Jesus comes and stands amongst them. They're afraid, they're vulnerable, they feel insignificant. They're uncertain, is Jesus really bad? What's happening? They're confused, they're full of unbelief. And they have this encounter with Jesus. I've preached on this before. See, when we encounter Christ, genuinely encounter him, then our fear is transformed into faith. And for some of us who have been around church a long time, we do church, but sometimes we forget what it is to encounter Christ. To come back to the first love. We were singing that in that, that new Wren Collective song, Simplicity, wasn't it? About coming back to, the, to our first love, as it says in Revelation. We need to do that. We need to often come back to remember what this is all about, what church is all about. It's all about Jesus and encountering him and having our hearts warmed strangely by him again. Because when you encounter Jesus in worship or in prayer or in prophetic or in ministry times, when you encounter Jesus, whether it's in a big room like this or on your own, you're sport for anything else. So they encounter Jesus And he knows that they're scared. He knows that they're weak. And he doesn't judge them for it. But what he does is they encounter him and he empowers them. He breathes on them. The truth is often we get really dry, we get really weak, we get afraid. Maybe we just get a bit burnt out. Or maybe bored. Bored by church. Bored by religion. Maybe our experience is just a bit... And Jesus knows that we're dust. He knows that we're weak, but he breathes on them. It's this beautiful moment when he breathes and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's that psalm I often refer to. It says, where God remembers that we are dust. When Adam was formed in, in the kind of, back in Genesis, he was formed from the dust of the ground and he was still kind of just a, a body and then God breathed into his nostrils. It's that same image, that same word of breath, the breath of God. And as God breathed into Adam, he came alive. As God breathed into the dead body in Ezekiel 37, those kind of bones that came together and formed the body and the, the breath of God came, suddenly they rose up. And so for these disciples, they're there, they're slain, they're fearful, they're weak, they're feeling like, how can we go and do anything? We're really... And God breathes. If you're feeling a bit weak, weak or a bit weak, as if, if you're anyone here's a Geordie, if you're feeling a bit weak or a bit vulnerable or just a bit tired, you need to encounter Jesus and experience his empowering, his breath. And when that happens, you emerge from that place. And that's what happens to the disciples. They encounter Jesus, they experience his empowerment, and they emerge and go out full of boldness into the world. And that's what the church is called to do. We as a church must encounter Jesus. We need to let him breathe into us. And then we need to explode out into the world. Not by might, not by power, not by our effort or wisdom, but by his spirit. I've talked lots about um, the perichoresis, this dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a guy called Brian McLaren who writes lots of interesting things, challenging things. But in a, in a book called A Generous Orthodoxy, he writes this about this eternal dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's act of creation means that God is inviting more and more people into the eternal dance of joy. 
Sin means that people are stepping out of the dance, stomping on feet instead of moving with grace, rhythm and reverence. But in Jesus, God enters creation to restore the rhythm and beauty again. We're called to be Christ's ambassadors, drawing people into the dance. But people aren't going to want to dance if the church is not a pleasant place to be, if it's not healthy, if it's not full of life. So I want to pray for us that as we go through this season, as we kind of study and reflect together what Scripture tells us about having healthy hearts and lives, that maybe we'll be caught up again in this glimpse of heaven that transforms our own hearts and lives and says, Lord, I I want to be transformed, to be part of a transformed church, to bring transformation to our community and world. Let's pray together. Father, I am not my own. I was bought with a price. Father, I'm not alone. You've put your Holy Spirit inside me. You're present with me every day and every moment, hour by hour. Lord, that's true for each of us. And so, Holy Spirit, we submit right now to your work in our lives. Guide us, convict us, change us, strengthen us, use us, we pray. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life, in our lives, in this church. Bring transformation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.